Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Huntington, and today I'm going to be talking about some books that I enjoy. These are nonfiction books. Generally, they're going to be kind of on like the lifestyle area, maybe a touch of productivity, a couple, at least one biography, and kind of random, right? All nonfiction, though. I love fiction books. I actually read more fiction than nonfiction. These are generally not going to be like a business-related book. And like I said, one of them is kind of productivity-related, but I also relate it to um, lifestyle a little bit too. It'll make sense once I get to it. A few of these, I have only listened to the audiobook. Uh, some of them I started with the audiobook and then actually purchased the book. They're not in a specific particular order. However, I will mention uh, certain books. I'm like, oh, this one, it really changed the way I think about X or Y. So I'll mention it and I'll, I'll kind of put them in somewhat of a little bit of an order. But like I said, the biography one, it's kind of out of place and it didn't shape anything like, uh, well, I'm not going to spoil anything. I'm going to talk about some books. I will also plug, I don't do this too often, but I, I do audiobooks pretty often. Highly recommend if you have a like a local library, public library, to download whatever app they have. A lot of times you can get, well, thousands and thousands of audiobooks or ebooks, or you know, you can get a physical book too. But the audiobooks are great. And I've been doing that for at least, I don't know, like 15 years, close to 15 years, something like that, since those apps were available. And I would, I would like download, I would like download the MP3 of the audiobook and then put it onto my iPod and then I would listen to it. It was like a long process. Now you could just load up the app on your phone, download it via like the data uh, network. And then you could listen to it while you're walking outside, right? You could download it while you're walking outside. So technology is great, but I also have an Audible account, which I actually, I pay for like the annual one. I think it's like 150 bucks and you get, I think 12 credits, not, not the best deal in the world, but it, just having the credits opens me up to just if if I see an audiobook that I want, I will get the audiobook. So I mentioned a few episodes back how if you could just get like one good idea out of a book, it is well worth it. A lot of times, if it's a decent book, you'll get more than one idea from it, but it's such a bargain. So like I said, if I'm maybe not paying the cheapest amount or if I can get um, a specific book, from the library for free versus like using my audible credit i really don't care that much i am not super impatient but if i'm if i'm able to use a credit instead of waiting on the wait list at the library for like six weeks or 16 weeks or something where i'm going to lose interest it's better to just you know, go ahead and get the book move forward with it okay I don't think I have a ton to ramble about today, which I'll back into really quickly here. I recorded two 
episodes with a friend from my, my other show, Mile High Fi. It's about personal finance and financial independence. So I recorded like a couple episodes with her yesterday. And then I have a couple other episodes to record with another one of my friends. Uh, she's coming over today again for Mile High Fi, trying to get ahead. And because of that, I had a lot of you know small talk with another person, and we you know we always chat when we're we're friends, right? I'm, I'm friends with the the folks I record with, so we're talking a lot even when we're not recording. So I don't have as many little uh, like random things going on because I had like real life conversation with uh, human beings here, and they were all off, you know many of it off the record. If you haven't checked out that show. There's probably a link in the description. You could find it. It's called Mile High Fi. It's out there on the the podcast networks and YouTube and all that stuff. So let's get to it here. First, I will start with a couple of the books that really impacted me a lot. One of them is 4,000 Weeks, and that's by Oliver Berkman. The subtitle is Time Management for Mortals. It is a New York Times bestseller. And I first heard about it because Tim Ferriss put a chapter or a section on his show. He did a short intro and then I think it was like a 15 minute episode. It really captured my attention when I heard it. And it's funny that I didn't run across it before. If I remember right, Oliver Berkman wrote it during the pandemic timeframe. 2020-ish. And it kind of it kind of took off. When I'm looking at the back here, I see there are little little um what do you call them? Not an excerpt, but it's a it's a little um there's a name for it. I know people are yelling at their their uh, headphones right now at me. Anyway, these famous authors wrote a little uh, something about it. Uh, Adam Grant, we have Daniel Pink, Cal Newport, a couple other people that I'm not familiar with. But anyway, a lot of people um, have great things to say about it. The title is 4,000 Weeks, and that is approximately how long you're going to live. I think it's like 73 years, 4,000 weeks is a nice round number. So that's why he picked it. And basically it highlights the fact that you're going to die at some time, probably around 4,000 weeks, maybe a little shorter, maybe a little longer, but our time is limited. And the big thing is it's about time management, but you have to look at what you want to spend your time on because especially in the world that I'm in where I work for myself, there's a lot of different things I can work on. Essentially, there's an endless amount of things that I can work on. And if I don't pay attention, it's really easy for me just to be very busy, endlessly busy, where I feel very stressed out because I literally can't catch up And maybe the better I get at doing my, you know, quote, job, the more stuff I'm going to have to do. And that's just for my particular little world. I'll give a quick example and then I'll make an analogy. If you have a full-time job and maybe imagine what my old full-time corporate gig would have been like. 
So for me, let's say I'm doing really good at my work. Let's say my podcast explodes and downloads go up by 100x and it's one of, you know, the top 10 podcasts in the world. I would have a lot more inbound opportunities, which would be interesting. There'd be a lot of, you know, maybe not so great ones, but there would still be really good opportunities coming my way. Some of them would be fantastic things I couldn't even imagine. And if I wasn't paying attention and I was like, this is a great opportunity, I have to take advantage of this. It's, I'm so lucky to be able to do it. I could take on way too much work, again, an endless amount of work. And the more successful you are, the more work will show up. If you're not careful, you certainly can control it, right? And say, ah, I'm going to turn down a lot of this stuff except the things that I want to do. If you have a corporate gig, and I can imagine my old job, if I became really good at maybe managing a specific type of team, maybe this is actually something I was pretty good at, uh, like issue management and crisis management, which kind of sucks. That's when things are going wrong and they need someone to fix it and kind of focus until the problem is solved. You usually get reassigned to help other people or other projects that got out of hand. So if you become good at that, you'll be assigned more and more things like that. So a little tip for you, if you do have a job, a corporate type job specifically, don't become good at something that you don't like doing because you're going to have to do more and more of it. So I I didn't mind it too much at first. Um, and just thinking about it, because I was able to solve the problems and the thing is like when there's a huge crisis, usually you can have sort of a singular focus and ignore everything else, which is much easier for me to like work on versus, you know, six projects. Nothing's in a big crisis, but everything needs a little bit of attention. It's much easier to work on one project. So that, that has stuck with me pretty well. Okay. So 4,000 weeks, it's pretty awesome in I think it has a lot of stoic uh, type ideas in there, but I highly recommend you check it out. 4,000 weeks, you can get a little taste if you just listen to Tim Ferriss's podcast, um, look for Oliver Berkman, 4,000 weeks. Additionally, Oliver Berkman has been on a lot of podcasts. So if you don't like reading and you're lazy, you can listen to his interviews and you'll get most of the point. Read the book though, it's, it's not too bad. All right, second one that dovetails really nicely with it is called Die With Zero. This is by Bill Perkins. And I heard about the book, I think kind of when it came out, but I didn't really pay attention. And I was like, ah, I think I get the point. I am not interested in reading it. And then in the last year, I kept hearing people talk about it. One of my friends, uh, Brad Barrett over at Choose FI, he kept talking about it on his show. I had an opportunity to chat with him in person at an event called Economy. And, you know, he just kept mentioning it. So I finally checked it out. And I got some, you know, great ideas from it. The, the premise from Die With Zero and the main idea is 
actually, I'll give you a, a couple quick examples too. But Bill Perkins encourages you to spend some money, which is interesting because I'm also have a foot in the you know FI community, the financial independence retire early community, and there's a lot of people who are quite frugal, and it's kind of a like a badge of honor. You know, the more frugal you could be, the the better. That's just one sort of group. There's a lot of, there's a huge spectrum. Some people are not frugal. I'm not particularly frugal. And with Die With Zero, Bill Perkins talks about spending money and not continuing to hoard it. One of the big things, one of the most important things from the book is uh, time bucketing, which you should be able to find an excerpt of that section if you search for it, I think Business Insider has uh, the excerpt on their site, probably a few other places too. But it's taking the idea of a bucket list and then putting it into a timeline, essentially. And if you're a fan of the show or if you've read the four hour work week, you'll hear the sort of analogy between dreamlining, which is writing your dreams and then putting it on a timeline. So time bucketing is putting, you know, your bucket list together and then figuring out when you should do some things. An example to make it crystal clear is let's say you want to do some international travel. Let's say you want to do some hiking, maybe climb some mountains. Maybe you're not into that stuff. Maybe you like to go scuba diving or something. And you have a couple things going on. You have the international flight, which might be whatever, six, seven, 12 hours. It could be a long time on a plane. And then you also have some health things to think about and some you know, physical abilities that you have to weigh. And for a lot of us, when we get older, when we're approaching the 4,000 weeks, we're not going to be physically able to do the stuff that we could do in the past. In fact, we may not think it sounds very fun to sit on a plane for 18 hours or six hours or whatever and go somewhere. Like we maybe just want to stay at home or stay in our small community and just be pretty comfortable. So if you want to take a trip around the world and stop at a def- different places, you maybe need to do that before you're 55 or 60 or whatever. And for almost everyone, unless you're particularly unhealthy right now at this point in time, right now, you are probably as healthy and in shape as you're going to be. Not everyone, right? But I'm probably as healthy and in shape as I am going to be for the, for the rest of my life. And it'll just be a slow decline from today moving forward as it has been for the last 20 years, something like that. I am actually in better shape than I was maybe like 10 or 15 years ago. But the point still stands. It just means I was in worse shape back then. I didn't take care of myself. So you need to do certain things at certain times. Maybe it's related to your family. Maybe you have some kids that are still in the house. They're under 18. Maybe they're going to go off to college or trade school or move out or whatever and move on with their lives you maybe only have a little bit of time to spend with them. So maybe you need to prioritize that and do the travel that you can with them while 
they're still around uh, in the house that is um maybe you have some older parents or relatives that they're not going to be around forever right they maybe only have five or ten or fifteen years left and maybe they only have like five years where they're physically going to want to do some you know more strenuous travel or things that are a little more taxing on on your body so the whole point is spend some money right so die with zero spend some money it's impossible to actually die with zero it's just a catchy title but the aim is to you know use the money that you're you're saving you're saving for your future and at some point if you don't flip the switch you'll continue saving for your future that is always a few years out and then you've you've wasted your time saving money and maybe working for several years that you forgot to use it and you were unable to take that you know trip or Alaskan cruise and take the helicopter ride to the glacier and do the other stuff don't miss out on that shit so i'm i'm 44 right now and i'm sort of in in the prime range and uh, i think i will teach you to be rich if you check out that podcast or check out some of uh, ramit's stuff you'll hear him and other people talk about like prime spending years and generally in the context that i'm talking about it's 40 to 60 right We've worked for a handful of years. If you were successful, you've saved up some money. Maybe you have a pretty good foundation. You have some great savings for your retirement and you're still healthy. You can still do some stuff. You're physically um, able to do challenging things and your body's still <laughs> adaptable, right? So 40 to 60. And I'm, I'm right at sort of the beginning. And the kind of cool thing is I have uh, several friends who are, uh, they're like five-ish years older than me. So I've, I've seen like what they've done and they're like, oh shit, like I'm in my prime spending years. And I, the first decade kind of zipped by and I didn't do what I should have done. So now, of course, they're 50-ish. So they have a little bit more time but not a ton. And they, they know their time is limited, particularly people with kids. And they see they're here in the house for like two more years and they graduate from high school. And then we'll see them, but not nearly as much. Okay. So die with zero, Bill Perkins. It's awesome. Next is a couple uh, around happiness. So one is called the happiness project by Gretchen Rubin. And I, I found that one uh, very interesting. I read it a few years ago and she takes a year. This is one of those sort of like uh, case study project type books, sort of a challenge. So she took one month each year and she focused on like one aspect of happiness and she tested it out and tried to figure out what worked. I think she probably did something like nine or 10 distinctly different things. And then I think at the tail end, she was sort of like trying to combine things and see what habits like really could be sustainable. Um, I, I forget how it ends, but she is happier. <laughs> and she wrote another few books and she has a podcast. Highly recommend The Happiness Project. Um, I got a lot out of it. I have a couple friends who started reading it and they didn't like the format or Gretchen's writing style or something. So if you don't dig that one, which it'll be apparent pretty quickly, there's another one called Stumbling on Happiness. And I want to say it's by someone Gilbert. 
but a lot of the same ideas, you can apply them back and forth and, you know, whichever version of the, that happiness kind of book you enjoy, just take a look and then check it out. Both of them are great, but you know, you may like one more than the other. There's another one that I uh, read very recently. It's sort of the anti-productivity book. It's called Do Nothing. And it is really an anti-productivity book. It's about doing less. And I ran across it, I think a couple of years ago, I bought the audiobook over on Audible. And I don't remember, you know, anything super specific. There are a lot of studies, a lot of um, anecdotes and other stories within the book where it explains how we're doing so much more now to my point earlier, where if you're, if you're good at something, if, especially if you work online or if you're running your own business, if you're not careful, you could be perpetually busy and it is extremely easy to create a to-do list that is never going to be complete. There's always going to be more things popping up. And if you happen to be really good at working through um, a to-do list, you'll be able to stack it up with more and more things. So I forget the author of this book. I think it's Celeste something or other. <laughs> but we'll put links in the show notes so you can, we'll we'll get my uh, VA, Callie, to, to put the links and the authors and all that stuff because I, I forgot. I, and that, again, another one where I don't have the physical book, so I, I can't remember the, the author there, which I feel bad about. Okay, so awesome book. It also came into play because I'm writing a book about laziness, ironically. Anti-productivity is really sort of the, the general idea behind it. We frame it as laziness, but I'm working with my friend, Carl Jensen, who's my co-host over on Mile High Fi. And it goes hand in hand. And the, the thing is, like, there's a movement against productivity. And I think, you know, it's people in some luxurious positions like myself, which ho- hopefully people acknowledge it, right? So I'm in, a, I'm in a great, lucky position, and I don't have to do as much work as I used to. I like working, right? I created a fucking project, right, to write a book about laziness instead of just being lazy. Like that's how much I want to do stuff and be creative and collaborate on ideas and then think about the marketing and then all the other shit. Right? I like to do stuff so much that I can't even take the my own advice in the book, you know? But the uh, the, <laughs> the thing is, there's sort of a toxic productivity situation out there because people like me create content and they're productivity content creators and there's new tools coming out and new apps. And one of the things that I see over and over again, and I kind of rejected this a few years ago, is someone's like, oh, what what tools do you use for your project management or what tools do you use for your productivity so you get stuff done and it, it doesn't matter. I mean, I use a notebook most of the time, like the one I'm looking at right here. And it's it, it feels productive when you're like, oh, I heard about this new tool. I'm going to learn how to use it. And then I'm going to set up all the systems. And then I'm going to keep trying to optimize it. And it's like, oh, 
you could just like do the fucking work that you need to do. Like stop distracting yourself with the tools and the other things that don't matter nearly as much. So it's usually the principles behind it. The tools can help you. And I know there are, there are some situations where maybe you have a specific kind of team that you've set up for your agency and there's a lot of different stakeholders. There's a lot of people on the team and you need something fairly streamlined. Sure, I, I see the value most of the time, but I have been guilty of this in the past where I'm like, all right, I want to set up the perfect system and I want to use these tools and I want to integrate them with Zapier and I want to have notifications and blah, blah, blah. And it ends up being really fun to set up and it doesn't help the bottom line. It doesn't help anything. Sometimes it does. And I know people will dig into their positions often. I, again, I've done the same thing, but usually it doesn't matter. And it's much easier just to, you know, avoid all the shiny new tools and apps and all this stuff and just stick to the, stick to the basics and use the simplest solution that you possibly can. Okay. Moving on. Another one I'll throw in is Paradox of Choice by Barry Schwartz. Schwartz. And I have heard about this book for several years and recently listened to the audiobook. It was very good. The idea, the main takeaway is about maximizing versus, versus satisficing, which is, you know, maximizing is looking for the optimal solution, the very best solution. And then satisficing is looking for a solution that meets the minimum criteria for whatever it is you're looking for. So a quick example would be maybe I'm looking for lodging or a hotel. And if I was a maximizer, I would try to find the best deal. I would look at the other things that are important to me, like maybe the location, the price, the amenities, is there a free breakfast? Um, are the sheets nice? How, how clean is the room? All these different pieces. And maybe I look at Airbnbs as well. So how big is it? Same kind of idea. And maybe I'm comparing hotel room versus Airbnb. And I'm looking at all these different things. And it takes a long time because there's a ton of data to look at. A satisficer, which is what I am now, right? So I think at one point I was more on the maximizing side, the more optimization side. But after I read The Happiness Project, Gretchen Rubin did mention maximizing versus satisficing. And I was like, oh, I need to move as far as I can to the satisficing area. So a satisficer would look at the minimum criteria, check the boxes and pick a solution that meets it. And then once they find one that is good enough, they move forward. So I am very much a, you know, this works. I found a hotel. It's in the right vicinity. It's within my price range. It looks clean enough and I'm good. I book it. I don't think about it again. A maximizer, on the other hand, might book something and then they might continue to look because they might be able to find the same quality at a cheaper price, for example. So it may, it's be very difficult. And the thing is with paradox of choice, Generally speaking, uh, maximizers are less happy, satisficers are more happy, and part of it is just being okay with the non-optimal solution, 
And the, the tricky thing, most things are not as cut and dry as the hotel where there might be a, a clear highest value, best place to stay. Some things are really fuzzy, like um, choosing a partner or dating in general or things that are just kind of fuzzy where there's so many different variables that it's extremely difficult to have the optimal solution or to be secure and confirm that you have the optimal solution. When you are looking at maximizing, you are trying to find all of the options out there and the fact that you have knowledge in your head about all the different choices that you could make makes it very difficult for you to be happy with the choice that you have made or to even make a choice. So one complaint with the paradox of choice is I thought it was a little bit long. Again, I did the audiobook. I want to say it was about seven hours. I think it could be summarized. And if you, unless you really dig the book, which you would know pretty quickly, I would say you probably can read a summary of it, maybe you know, 20 to 50 pages. I'm sure something like that is out there where you get the high points, but that is the main idea. It's just like the more choices you have, the more of a maximizer you have or more of a maximizer you are, you'll have a harder time being happy. And if you're a satisficer, you'll probably be um, less stressed out. You'll probably be happier in general and it's just easier for you to make decisions. So good book though worth checking out. One on the productivity side is Atomic Habits by James Clear. So I didn't read this book until a couple months ago. And the reason why is it was kind of on the habit slash productivity side. And I wasn't super interested in reading any productivity type books as I'm now on the lazier side. But it was recommended so often and cited so often. The reason why I didn't read it in the last few years is I read The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. And at the time that I read The Power of Habit, I was reading several other productivity books and I found a lot of them just kind of referenced the same information over and over again. And I got the point. Like I got the point of habits and I feel pretty good about controlling habits, getting rid of habits that are negative that I don't want and encouraging new habits. So I feel pretty good about that. And I've done it multiple times in different areas of my life. I'm not like a master at it, but I know the thumb screws to turn and I usually have a pretty good success rate with it. Positive and negative habits. So I was like, I don't need another habit book. I'm pretty sure this one is just a regurgitation of the other shit. But finally, I did check it out and someone on a live stream a few weeks ago mentioned that they liked Atomic Habits better because it had more of a prescriptive type um, suggestion and takeaways on how you can be effective with implementing new habits, getting rid of bad habits, that sort of thing. Now that is In The Power of Habit, in in the back of that book, there's an appendix and it's like 15 pages long and it's like, here's what you could do 
to integrate habits or get rid of habits. So it's in the power of habit also, but it's just sort of a different format. And I think, you know, James Clear came up as a blogger versus Charles Duhigg. He's a, you know, a journalist. He's a New York Times, or at least he did write for the New York Times. Um, but Atomic Habits is good and it's a little bit more, it's not like a blog. It's written very well. It was traditionally published and all that stuff. Uh, but worth checking out if you are looking to get on top of your habits. Another one that is in the productivity area is called The Productivity Project, and it's by Chris Bailey. The tagline here is accomplishing more by managing your time, attention, and energy. Now, I I said I'm, I'm against the, you know, toxic productivity. This one's good. It's kind of similar to the happiness project where Chris tried a bunch of different stuff. So it's like many books, you could take away like one or two things and change your life, right? So it's pretty cool because he gives you some very specific takeaways. He talks about um, exactly what he did and what worked and what didn't work. So worth taking a look at. Don't go down the uh, overly productivity uh, toxic area. Just, you know, keep it. <laughs> keep it in an uh, appropriate spot for yourself. Don't go too far. All right. We're starting, we're starting to wrap up here. I'm going to hit this biography. This one's called Tough Shit. Life Advice from a Fat, Lazy Slob Who Did Good. This is by Kevin Smith. And... I didn't pay too much attention to Kevin Smith, but I went to a conference back in 2017. It was the first conference that I went to and shoot, I can't even remember. Maybe I can't even remember the name of it. It was in Minneapolis and I went because Pat Flynn was going to be one of the speakers and it was fine. I met a couple people. I didn't, I didn't really like gel. And it ended up being, you know, I'm not going to go off on a huge tangent, but um, I don't think they did the conference again. I think the company like shifted and stopped serving our kind of community and they, they went up market or something like that. Kevin Smith did the keynote and I was like, this dude is pretty funny. Like I, I forgot, I forgot that he's pretty funny. He um, produced some independent movies out there like uh, Clerks, Mall Rats, Chasing Amy. Um, Jay and Silent Bob. And the thing is, he's one of the OG podcasters from way back in the day. So for a little while, I checked out his podcast. The big takeaway here is to just, you know, produce, be creative, put out content, do it on your own terms. And this guy ended up being very influential to me because, I mean, look at the way I do this particular show. <laughs> I'm like, I'd rather do things on my terms and have a smaller show. I want to produce the content that I want to produce. And side note, I mean, this is, um, I won't mention any, anything too specific, but um, around the time that I'm recording this, I've had, um, I'll be as vague as I can to avoid any trouble, but I had the opportunity to work with a big company. And I was like, I don't need to work with a company. I don't give a fuck, right? 
I'm in a luxurious spot where I'm like, you know what? I could take it or leave it. It's fine. So I was able to interact with this company a little bit. And then I got, um, I got an email and it was like, Hey, before you send out anything else, like we just want to take a look at it beforehand. And that rubbed me a little bit the wrong way. I was like, Hey, <laughs> it's my, it's my, um, creative outlet and I'm not accepting any money, right? Like you don't really have any say over any of the creatives or anything that I'm putting out. And that's part of the deal. Like when I have advertisers work with me, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to be saying what I want to say. And I, I took, you know, part of it from, from Kevin Smith, where he's just like, you know, do your thing and it'll like, it'll probably be okay. Right. Just put out content. And the other is, uh, Bill Burr, who he has his own uh, podcast. He's a huge stand-up comedian and he does some acting as well, but he, um, there's a couple, <laughs> you can probably find this on YouTube, but he would get a, uh, a sponsor, right? So the, the company wouldn't really be familiar. I'm sure there's like a third or fourth party intermediary marketing company. And they're like, Hey, we got you on this big podcast. And then Bill just like makes fun of the product and the company. He, he often doesn't even know what the company does so much. And he just makes fun of it. He's a stand-up comedian. Like this is what what he does. He's busting balls and making fun of him. And he's been dropped like a few times for doing funny thing. I think at least one of them, like they didn't like the first ad and they dropped him immediately. But apparently his audience came through and ordered a bunch of shit and they came, they came back and they were like, oh, we just, we didn't get it. Like we, we thought you were making fun of us. We thought your audience would not buy anything, but turns out they, they did. Now, obviously his show is huge. I think he's getting, you know, millions of downloads per episode. It's often one of the biggest podcasts, like on all of iTunes or, you know, wherever people listen. And, um, I know my, my show's not, not that big. It's not that big. But Bill's been doing it since the very beginning, you know, probably like 2005 or something like that. Anyway, the point is, um, tough shit, Kevin Smith. It's a good read. Highly recommend you get the audio book of this. Kevin reads it and he also throws in extra little stories. He can talk. He can talk a lot. And if you ever listen to him on like the Joe Rogan podcast, he's been on a bunch. Um, he could just go on and on. He's the kind of guy you ask him like one or two questions and he could talk for an hour, that kind of thing. All right. We are wrapping it up here. I'm going to have two books from Mark Manson. One is The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, and it is a counterintuitive approach to living a good life. And I got this book like right when it came out. And I got, yeah, I mean, you've got the hardback. I, I actually I remember buying it from like Barnes and Noble back in Bozeman at the mall there. And I was a follower uh, of Mark's for a few years. I heard him on podcast. He came up through the affiliate marketing world. So I heard his interviews um, or a couple interviews with him over on the Tropical MBA podcast. So I knew of Mark Manson. I wasn't an avid 
um, reader of his blog, but I knew who he was. So I was like, oh, this book sounds cool. And I, I bought it right away. It kind of, a lot of the books, they kind of, they fit together okay. And essentially this, this book um, helps you understand your priorities, right? So it's like not giving a fuck means that you, you can care about the things that are a priority. So it's not a, this book is not uh you know, negative. It's not about not caring. It just helps you understand, like, if you only have 4,000 weeks and limited time with uh, your family, you have to make some choices. And some of those choices will be maybe not working as much and being lazier. So like I said, all this stuff kind of fits together a little bit. Highly recommend it if you haven't checked it out. I know Mark Manson has um, a growing YouTube channel. This is going to be made into a movie from what I understand. So he has a YouTube channel out there and I think he has maybe like a 30 or 40 minute book summary on this book. So if you are a little bit lazy, you want the cliff note version from the author, he has it. Second book, which funny enough, I haven't read all of it, but I will in the next week because I, I'm actually going on a little little trip here. This book is called Everything is Fucked and it's a book about hope. So Again, I haven't read this one, but I was like, I like Mark. I saw it at um, actually another Barnes and Noble. I don't often um, buy at Barnes and Noble these days just because there's not one close by where I live now and I just happen to not go by there. But um, I picked it up. I think I've read about a third of it and I just wasn't on a good reading rhythm at the time when I picked this up. But similar to The Subtle Art um, this one is actually positive and it's a book about hope. Both of these are more on the philo- philosophical side, but you should be able to get something out of it. And again, I'm pretty sure Mark has a summary on his YouTube channel. If he doesn't, there's probably something pretty close that you could, you could check out. However, his writing is great. It's very entertaining. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of dry humor in there, which I really enjoy. And I can tell you that pretty recently, Mark was on Tim Ferriss's podcast. And it was a you know couple hour interview, highly entertaining. It sounds like you know, a couple old friends catching up. So yeah, Mark Manson's awesome. Check out his books, check out his YouTube channel. And I think that. That gets us to the end. If you have any book recommendations that are, maybe they're similar to some of the ones that, that I mentioned here, um, let me know. You could leave a comment. You could shoot me an email, feedback at doug.show. And I, now that I've mentioned all of these here, the two that really impacted me the most, um, not just recently this year, but I think like the biggest impact over the past few years is 4,000 weeks and die with zero. Again, those kind of fit together well. They cover sort of different topics, but those two things really highlight your limited amount of time and the fact that you need to make some intentional decisions. And I know, I mean, I don't think those two books necessarily say, hey, make intentional decisions, but that's, that's the thing. It's too easy to be complacent. And I was chatting uh, with my friend the other day and I mean, really, 
I just kind of took the easy path for about 35 years or so. I did fine in school. Turns out I'm a decent test taker. So I did fine in school, got a degree that was kind of like a popular one at the time, computer engineering, still popular, right? But it was popular at the time, kind of newish. Computers were a thing that were going to be even bigger and better. And then I got a job that I just kind of, I got referred to, like it was fine, but I didn't love it. I lived in the same place for a really a long time, right? I lived in Georgia for like 35 years. And then finally I was like, we can move. Like my wife and I were like, we can move. So we can move anywhere we want. Like we don't, I mean, even if you have kids, like you can move, but we didn't even have kids. It was very easy for us to sell our stuff, hit the road for a few months, kind of travel around a bit while we were working remotely. It was like 2015. And it's just so easy to be complacent versus like making a big decision that can sort of change the trajectory of what you're working on, what you're spending your time on and your priorities. And then like when I got laid off in 2015, kind of as a result of that travel and me thinking, I'm going to make some big decisions. I got laid off. And one big decision was to not get another job and to try to run my own business, which ended up being great and freed up while I was very busy in the beginning and I was consuming a lot of toxic productivity sort of information. It was a route to have even more free time in the future. And it was actually a lot more profitable to work for myself than to work for another company. And not just more profitable, more profitable on like a a per um, unit of work basis. So basically I didn't have to like trade my time for money as much. And the ROI on that time was much higher. I came to appreciate that and really, I mean, that is like the biggest luxury is like having a lot of free time and not being in a hurry. That's awesome. That like, that's basically what it looks like, right? So it's what it looks like to be wealthy. Think about it for a second there. And I, I go back, I go back, one of our neighbors in uh, Bozeman, they were like, what, what do you do? Are you just independently wealthy? I wasn't, I just got laid off, right? I, the business was not started yet. I'm like, no, no, I, I wish that I was. But someone who just, ha I had free time. I had free time. So I would like go to the grocery store during the day, in the middle of the week. I'd work out in the middle of the day during the week. And I just, it looked like I was never working. I didn't, I mean, I worked some, but it just looked like I was never working and I had free time. So if someone was like, hey, do you want to do this thing? I said, sure. Well, if I wanted to, right. But I was like, yeah, let's, let's do it. Like, I, I don't have any other constraints. That sounds like fun. So if you, if you think about it, like, are you, are you after, are you after, you know, like having a fancy cars or a big house or like a, a lot of outward displays of uh, spending money, not necessarily wealth, right? Because people can have some flashy stuff, but they may not have very much wealth. Or do you just want to have free time? And the ability to not be in a rush. And I, I choose the latter. I, I love not being in a rush and I really dislike being in a rush <laughs> or being late for something. I'm like, oh no, 
that's about time management a little bit. But the other part is just like, you can, if you're too busy, you fill your schedule with too much stuff to do. And then you're often just running, trying to catch up for the next meeting or whatever. So let me know what books, I don't know why I went on that tangent, but let me know what books uh, you recommend for me. Uh, if you have any fiction ones, or if you have if you have a desire to hear the fiction books that I really enjoy, let me know. You know, I haven't done that. We uh, recently did kind of the marketing uh, books. There's a couple lifestyle books in there too. It's a couple episodes back. And then today, of course, we covered sort of lifestyle, a little bit of productivity, a little anti-productivity. If you want to know the fiction stuff, let me know. Feedback at Doug.show or leave a comment on this video on the YouTube side. Thanks a lot, and we'll catch you on the next episode. 